Hello and welcome to a special breaking news edition of Energy Voice Out Loud. I'm Alistair Thomas, I'm the Europe Editor at Energy Voice, and I'm joined by my colleagues Andrew Dykes and Ryan Duff on today, the day of days where Rosebank has finally, finally been approved after months of, uh, well, limbo, I suppose. We've been kind of at this stage for yeah, months now, right? We've been kind of expecting it imminently. Um, yeah, I, I started the day with a, 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 a blind bit of panic with Ryan. Um, what's happening? What's happening? But we got there. Um, but yeah, we've had a, a spread of reaction today. Uh, one of the, well, the largest untapped discovery in UK waters. And um, yeah, it's been quite a, a, a mix of um, industry, political and uh, campaigner reaction. Um, yeah, a bit of a win for the industry, I suppose, firstly, Andrew. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's hard not to see this as a victory for the sector, who've been talking about this for a very long time, and also for the government, obviously, in, in light of the increased messaging around energy security, and especially in the wake of the energy profits levy, the windfall tax, which, you know, for the past year has been kind of dominating how the sector talks about energy and, and how it sees the headwinds, I guess, was against it. So an approval, an FID, uh, huge, hugely welcome, huge news for them. We had uh, David Whitehouse of uh, Offshore Energies UK, the trade association, saying it was good news for jobs, our economy and our secure energy future, uh, making the case that by promoting production in the UK, we avoid costly or higher carbon imports while making the UK uh, more reliable supplies of energy for the UK. Uh, so he said they sh we should have more projects like Rosebank if uh, they're serious about delivering a homegrown UK energy future. Interesting, interesting, okay. Uh, Ryan, what have kind of business reaction have you seen off the back of this? Do you know, I just want to touch on energy security, if that's all right. You know, it's obviously a massive talking point within, within this development. It has been, like we say, we were in limbo for a long time and it was kind of brought up throughout the, the entire, entire process. But I think it's quite interesting to see how different sides of the debate interpret this approval, right? You know. One half sees it as energy security, but then the other half's going, but it's primarily oil, and oil's refined in Europe, it's going overseas, then it'll be sold to the highest bidder. You know, so it's like, it, it does it, it derive energy security? I think it's quite an interesting talking point, and I think it's quite reflective of what you're seeing in the discourse around any aspect. We're speaking about jobs, we're speaking about, um, you know, yeah, like we say, energy security and the energy transition. Each point has yep. either side, right? It's, it's quite an interesting one to, to talk around. And yeah, I think just when you were speaking about security, that was the thing that popped into my head straight away was, well, so it, it goes without saying. Right, so divisive, yeah. Well, let's talk about the oil piece of it then, um, because it was on the media call with Equinor this morning. Uh, and obviously the, that question came up, where does the oil go? Because that's the kind of the stick with which this project keeps getting beaten with. And we obviously need to keep this, in, this point in mind that the UK remains a net importer of both oil and gas. Um, refineries to Europe is the expectation, but Equinor, they don't know, they assume, um, because of the lack of Russian oil going to Europe now, that the oil would go to Europe from Rosebank. Um, but yeah, we need to keep this in mind, I suppose, the fact that just because we export product A doesn't mean we're not taking product B back in uh, to the country. Um, but I don't know, what do we think? Do we think that's being recognised? There's a lot of climate protests today, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen protests in uh, London, some spontaneous protests from some of the, the groups, I think Fossil Free London, um, and I think Greenpeace and Uplift have made, not behind the protests, but made similar uh, voicings around kind of challenging this. I think they've already written to, uh, to some of the government departments uh, suggesting their disapproval and that they kind of believe they may have a legal case against it, mm -hmm. which we might cover in a little bit. Um, 
I think also politicians, you know, we, you, you spoke there, Caroline Lucas had come out and saying that, you know, it was morally obscene um, to, to uh, allow this. And that again, made the point around, that you were making around, around energy security and cheaper bills, you know, that the things that people are struggling with in their day-to-day -day lives in terms of how they consume energy in their homes and things probably not be influenced mm -hmm. by this. Um, there's, there's the macro point, there's the point that we are kind of part of this larger whole, but we are still subject to these uh, global markets that we are not in control of just by virtue of this single project. So that's also worth bearing in mind. Uh, Hamza Youssef, obviously the first minister, I think he had come out saying he's, he's disappointed in it. Um, he didn't think it's reflective of climate leadership. And, had, had, uh, had, Hamza, uh, had Hamza Youssef, uh, obviously Nicola Sturgeon had, had made uh, discussion about Rosebank in the past. I don't recall him ever being drawn directly on Rosebank before. I might, might be mistaken there, but I don't recall anything. I was speaking with someone in the office earlier today about this, actually, and I think, now I might be wrong, but I think the only time I've seen him directly comment was, I think we ran a story a wee while ago when he said, I'm not convinced. Mm, that's so right. it was quite yeah. on the fence. Yeah, it was an interview. I went back because I thought there'd be loads from, to draw his yeah. position from this morning. But um, no, one, one, I think, interview with The Daily Record a couple of weeks back, basically August, um, saying that, yeah, he wasn't convinced. He made the same point around uh, concerns that the majority of, of what's extracted isn't, isn't going there. And he kind of didn't necessarily see the case for it. But that's kind of it in, in the way that Cambo, I think, became kind of synonymous with Nicola Sturgeon's tenure. And, and that was every kind of... Uh, session of parliament, every uh, big event she went to, obviously COP, she was asked about it. That was a huge yeah. thing in a way that I think Rosebank has been bubbling along the background, but isn't necessarily the defining moment for him yet. Who, who knows? Could still be. Could still be, yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think this touches on a point that we really should have probably gotten to by now. This comes a, a, day, af a day after the International Energy Agency tells us no new long lead oil and gas projects in order for the world to hit uh, 1.5 degree uh, climate change. Um, Rosebank is going to be producing through to 2051. That is, by definition, uh, uh, a long lead oil project. Now, Equinor saying, you know, we still have demand for this oil. And by the way, we're talking about a global oil kind of system. The UK takes from that more than it puts in. So we, we in the UK benefit from this uh, system. I don't know if that's necessarily well, uh, well understood. But, you know, I, I think it's in terms of the, going back to the business win, you know, we, we just need to have a little look back to the fact that hundred billion pounds worth of projects have been kind of in, in doldrums to an extent. There's been a lot of uncertainty about things getting going. I don't think this is going to assuage that uncertainty. We'd see what you guys think about that, but it's probably a, it maybe moves the dial in the better direction than the alternative would be. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. There's quite, quite a lot of discourse uh, around meeting net zero targets and what oil and gas sort of does within that, because consistently we do see that oil and gas will be here beyond uh, beyond net zero goals, but then you know you've got, like you say, um, IEA, you've got uh, DNV and uh, EIC. You've all sort of said we're we're not hitting those targets. We're not go. We're not near it. And I get why someone can see something like Rosebank, this massive oil field, being approved and go, well, if we're not on track, surely that's not helping things. So I totally get where that standpoint's coming from. But then, you know, like you say, there's the flip side of, well, we, we need oil and, you know, well, I've got my phone in my hand right now, you know, that's, that needs oil, uh, you know, it, mo most of our household products need oil. Uh, I think the, the difficult situation with getting rid of it altogether is finding an alternative. And funnily enough, I was reporting on Lego <laughs> earlier this that's week. That's right, yeah. Uh -huh. their, their bricks are oil-based, uh, the plastics they use are oil-based, and they've been experimenting with recycled plastics to uh, to phase that out and they found that it 
the overhaul in sort of manufacturing equipment and the durability of the bricks compared to what they, they currently produce would end up meaning they would produce more carbon emissions than if they used the, the, this sort of resource. So the demand side of things is probably the talking point that I think is often missed because people just see oil bad, yeah. wind turbine good, right? And it's not, not that simple. I think to answer your, your point as well, you know, there is clearly a symbology to it, right? Mm. As we say, there's a lot of projects, you know, 100 billion kind of in the maybe pile basically and being held back by various, or supposedly being held back by various policies. I think the symbology of one going ahead that has been long, has faced a lot of opposition, is still facing opposition, mm. but you know, two kind of major suppliers are, are putting their weight behind I think uh, definitely will be put in the win and I think will prove to others in the industry that it can be done. Yeah. Um, yeah. What you read into that is obviously very much <laughs> up to you, the, the Rorschach test of this thing, sure. whether you read the energy security, whether you read kind of, you know, emissions and profits. Um, Was there any doubt, do you think, either of you, that this project would, you know, get the go ahead? I, I it feels to me that we've been talking about it getting approved or imminently being approved uh, for a long time. I, it seems such kind of an unthi almost unthinkable in a way because of the signals that would have sent to the UK market if it didn't get approved. But what, what about any of you? Any doubts about that at any stage? I, I think some, some quiet ones of late. I think we've had a lot of um, hurry up and wait moments with this. We had you know some, some stuff last year where it looked, I think when the environmental statement kind of came out and went, oh, movement again, and then a lot of nothing. You know, we had, uh, I think, sort of a lot of pledges that it would be kind of done before mm -hmm. the parliamentary recess, I think, or at least we certainly expected that kind of done before the summer didn't happen. I think initially there was a before offshore Europe or at offshore Europe was the thing and then that rolled around. So um, yeah, I, I think I uh, wasn't expecting it today of all days. No, well, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I know that. But yeah. Uh, did it, yeah, did it seem inevitable? I think given the amount of, of uh, weight behind it, you know, I think the train had left the station a little while ago, but as you know, when it actually happened was still a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably Yeah, fair. I think if you predicted that Rosebank was getting approved this morning and you don't work at the NSTA, put a lottery ticket on <laughs> now. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I get your point. And I think I agree that any time we spoke about Rosebank, it was, oh, well, it will be approved. You know, it was. Ne I don't think it was necessarily the, the discussion around it was if, it was when, it's just how far away that is. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, like you say, it does. It would have sent an interesting signal to the yeah. the, the market if this the largest uh, untapped oil field in UK waters got a got a no and be like, well, what's the point in applying for the, the licensing round coming up? It's a know? tough. It's a yeah, It's a tough. It's a tough regime out there as things stand. Um, I also think for Equinor, obviously, you know, they're looking to to be you know potentially like one of the last producers standing. Right, that's kind of Norway's model, and, and they're very much part of that. And I think, yeah, the inability or the unwillingness to put a project like this of, of the size and scale and the investment they've talked about over the line, I think, would say a little bit, maybe their strategy wasn't going to work. So Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, well, it's positive in that regard. Um, I want to get on to my, my favourite topic, <laughs> uh, which is uh, electrification. Um, so it, kind of interesting revelation, if you like, from the call this morning. Um, Equinor don't see this project getting electrified before 2030. So 2030 is the earliest you could do that. Um, now, West of Shetland electrification, that obviously is not just Rosebank, that's taking into account BP's Clare, it's taking into account uh, Ithaca's Cambo, um, and the suggestion of 2030 has some implications for, for all of those. Um, for those that don't know, uh, the UK right now wants to obviously hit a 50% reduction in emissions by 2030 versus a 2018 baseline. 
electrification is basically seen as the only way to do that. So, if they're not going to electrify it till 2030, they're going to be producing from 2026-27, that means that they will be emitting at a much higher rate than they would be otherwise. Um, and, and Arne Gertner uh, said, you know, well, you know, the first couple, you know, first couple of years is when production ramps up and that's when uh, that, will, that will kind of matter the, the most, that, that piece, and I'm paraphrasing there slightly. And but obviously, when you first start, you're not at peak production, you have to ramp up to that. Um, but I just had a look at their emissions profile and it looks like, you know, they're gonna hit peak oil production um, in 2027, 2028. Um, so basically you're looking at potentially three years there of pretty heavy production without any kind of um, electrification piece. So I don't know, it, it seems a, a bit to me like I could see those NSTD, uh, North Sea Transition Deal targets maybe slipping a little bit back and having some negative implications for the climate. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll maybe see that play out when the, the legal challenges inevitably come through. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it has been so central to their case that it is, I think, disappointing to see that that, that mm. is already, well, you know, not immediately. Yeah. But I think that also speaks to the difficulties that we're seeing around the electrification space in general, right? I think we're seeing spiraling costs in all aspects of the uh, the economy. And I think there, you know, it's it's difficult stuff to do. Um, there's a lot of other moving parts, grid especially, um, sure, just seems yeah, to be this, this yeah. continual problem with, with any kind of uh, electrical-related project. Anything, yeah. Um, and I think that speaks to this wider, yeah, more holistic piece around the sector that we know we have to get these things moving. But I think it is disappointing to not have that for them, surely, as, as a flagship project, right? Not to have that ready in time to, to be able to say, you know, we've met all our goals, we've done this the most possible sustainable way we can to have this little question mark period isn't great. Not, not, not ideal, not ideal, no, okay. Uh, I think in that case, I mean, this has been about as long a day for us as we've had. Um, so with that, I think we'll wrap it up. But thank you to Andy and to Ryan for joining me. Uh, for all the latest on this, please remember to check in on energyvoice.com. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, Leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.